You are listening to Audio Drama in a Darker Shade at darkerprojects.com. And now our feature presentation. Darker Projects welcomes you to Quantum Retribution. Once you enter, you may never escape. To a precious few it was a paradise, a haven from the hectic pace of the real world. To others it was a nightmare. Nothing on this quaint island is as it seems. Beneath the tranquil lull of the ocean and the beautiful gardens, Dr. Nathaniel Lothman carved out a project based on Dr. Sam Beckett's theories on time travel. Hungry for the power to reform history to his own liking, Dr. Lothman integrated himself into the project and became Lothos. As his staff worked to his ultimate goal, their lives are held in the balance. Still vigilant to be who they are in a complex where danger lurks around every corner, their secrets lie buried and passions rest dormant. But for how long? Last on Quantum Retribution. Do you know what real power is? Real power? You mean electrical or atomic, don't you? <laughs> no, that's not the power I'm referring to. This is the start of the future. I have the power up and running like you asked. Hook me up, darling. I'll get it ready for you, darling. <gasps> Twenty-four years have passed since Nathaniel Lothamon became Lothos. In that time, he began using time travel to manipulate history towards his ultimate goal. But a few years ago, he began experiencing interference from another leaper, one Dr. Samuel Beckett, whose genius he borrowed from. After losing his most experienced leaper, Aaliyah, to Beckett's meddling, Lothos charged Zoe with wreaking havoc on the people closest to Beckett and his project, especially one Albert Calavici. CHD file was I reading from. Oh, here we go. 
In that time, Lothus's knowledge of time travel has grown, allowing him to alter history, bending and reshaping it to serve him. However, several years ago, his smoothly unfolding plans began to incur interference by none other than Dr. Samuel Beckett, the man whose theories had been the springboard from which his success in time travel had been launched. Historical Leap Date April 27, 1960 Present Time Leap Date December 3, 1999 Wow, I was five. Leap Target Subject Roger Dupriel Leap Location New York City, New York United States of America Objective Prevent Senator Max Brown of Ohio from attending the Finance Committee to which he was appointed. Specifically, hearings concerning additional funding for the top-secret government-funded project, Project Quantum Leap, headed by Dr. Samuel Beckett. Senator Brown is a known supporter of Beckett's project since it was initially approved for funding. Hmm. Method to achieve objective. Murder of his daughter. Diane Brown McBride by her ex-husband, Roger Dupriel, while on honeymoon with new husband, Thomas McBride. Leaper assigned to mission, Perry Royden. Observer assigned, Dr. Zoe Malvison. Result of mission, success. Diane Brown McBride and her husband were murdered on a train in transit to Niagara Falls, New York. Due to his grief over the death of his daughter, Senator Brown was temporarily replaced on the committee. The vote for additional funding to Project Quantum Leap was denied. The project was shut down and disbanded several months later. Yes. The success of this leap was negated by an unexpected presence and interference by a random leaper. The random leaper was later verified by covertly obtained information to be none other than Dr. Samuel Beckett himself. The results of his interference resulted in Senator Brown's attendance and positive input at that funding hearing. It had even more far-reaching implications. Diane Brown McBride went on to become the chairman of said committee. Beckett's project funding for that year was granted. Beckett's meddling also cost the leaper assigned to the mission, Perry Royden, his life. The leaper was retrieved but died. The leapy, Roger Dupriel, was returned with a similar knife wound. He died a half hour later, being returned to his own time. Ah, everyone's arrived from their leave. Oh, I need to hurry up and read this. The interference in the Royden leap was considered a one in a million fluke, but leaps previously completed successfully toward the achievement of Lothus's ultimate goal increasingly began to be interfered with. All fault and blame for the changes blamed on that still unknown random leaper. Not only did it affect Lothus's goal, but it also impacted the lives of his people. It was an unexpected twist of fate when the meddling random leaper was at last discovered to be none other than Dr. Samuel Beckett the man from whom Lothos had acquired the key information to aid him in achieving time travel in his own right. At that moment, denied yet again of reaching the historical change he sought, in a rage, Lothos hideously punished Aaliyah and Dr. Zoe Malvison, the leaper and observer assigned to that leap, for failing to kill his nemesis. Then and there, 
Lothus vowed to rid the world in time itself of Sam Beckett. But in a crucial second chance encounter, Aaliyah, a seasoned leaper, was swayed by Dr. Beckett's logic, enabling her to be stolen from Lothus's control. Zoe Sauten received permission to leap when Lothus located her protege. Her only goal was to kill Aaliyah, but Lothus was thwarted once more. She narrowly escaped death at Beckett's hands. Though enraged at losing his second most experienced leaper, nonetheless, it had pleased Lothus to see and listen to Zoe's furious denouncement of not Aaliyah, but Samuel Beckett. He gave Dr. Malvison almost carte blanche to learn all she could about Samuel Beckett's project. She, in turn, made it her primary goal to learn more about them, then do whatever it took to destroy the one person most indispensable to Samuel Beckett and Project Quantum Leap, namely Rear Admiral Albert Calavici. Is there a problem with the CHD file, Tala? Oh, I... Uh, uh, no, no, sir. There's nothing wrong with the CHD file, Lothus. I am now, however, preparing for Dr. Malvison's current leap, sir. Krista. There's nowhere to run out here, and your pathetic excuse for an uncle is far behind us. He will never catch up in time. Oh, I see. You've noticed that he doesn't quite look exactly like your Uncle Sam. He wasn't Sam Beckett when we kidnapped you, but he is now. Didn't your father ever tell you what he does when he goes to work? Didn't he ever tell you why Uncle Sam doesn't visit anymore? No, of course he didn't. It's top-secret government stuff. Can't take it home to the family. That's sort of a stupid thing to do, when it isn't as secret as they'd like it to be. Your dear uncle is travelling in time, little girl, and he's come to your rescue. Unfortunately for you, he's failed, and now... Now, my dear child, your father and mother will grieve for a very, very long time. <laughs> Please, Krista, you really don't believe that will work, do you? You're an intelligent child. Surely you know it's impossible to escape from me now. out <laughs> I want you to understand this very clearly Krista if you disobey me in any way 
I'll make sure that you suffer greatly. Your death will be exceedingly painful, and you will wish that you'd obeyed me from the start. If you do as you're told, I will make sure that it's very quick and painless. Is that understood? Excellent. I'm glad we have an understanding. I'm going to untie your ankles. If you do anything, remember what I've just told you. Better. Let's go. I think you know where. Say you could stop, little girl. That's going to cost you, darling. No matter. I think right here will do nicely. <gasps> Now let me think. Where to shoot you first? Please, please don't kill me. <laughs> And spoil my little present to your father? I don't think so. Perhaps the knee. It will be very painful for her. What do you think, my dear? Where should I shoot you first? <laughs> ah! I asked you a question, Krista. I, I don't, don't want to die. <laughs> Too bad, child. Krista, Krista, sweetie, are you all right? I was so worried. She's okay. Thanks, Sam. Are you okay, Al? I'm okay. Lucas retrieved Dr. Malvison immediately. She's been shot. She was still alive, but not for long. It seemed. Her eyes roamed the area to see the three figures that surrounded her. Just to her right was Thames, who was still fighting with his handling to get Lothos to retrieve her before it was too late. Admiral Calavici stood at a slight distance at her feet. How she could see him, she wasn't sure, but he was looking at her with disdain and obviously waiting for her end to finally come. She couldn't blame his sentiment. In fact, she understood it all too well. Why shouldn't he hate her? She had almost succeeded in killing his youngest daughter. The face that did surprise her was Sam Beckett's. He looked sorry for her. She couldn't understand why. She had never done anything good for him. Just the opposite. At every chance she had, she had thought of ways to ruin his life forever, and had even tried to kill him three times already. This is it, then. I'm sorry. Sorry, Sam. This woman. I'm sorry that your life brought you to this point. I'm sorry that the only thing you can do is hate others. I forgive you. <laughs> you forgive me. You shouldn't. Mark my words, Doctor Beckett. You two are hunted men. Wherever you are, we will find you again. And when we do, we will finally defeat you. It doesn't matter if I live or die. Someone will find you and kill you. Calavici. Don't tell me the obvious. 
Put her down. The medical team is on its way. As much as I despise your failure, my love, I would rather have you alive than dead. Thames had been correct when he told you that I always wanted you as my leaper. However, darling, I also knew your skills would be better here in my complex. At least that was the case until Aaliyah slipped out of our hands because of Beckett. Don't check out just yet, Zoe. Get out of the way, Thames! She's crashing! Danielle, get up there and administer CPR. Let's move, people. As the doors closed behind them, Thames turned back to face Lockhouse, his face shiny with a sheen of sweat that had sprung up as he'd watched with wide eyes and his heart pounding in his chest, as the medical team had taken possession of Zoe and swarmed out of the room with her even faster than they had entered. Taking a deep, steadying breath, Thames scanned the room, pausing, a frown creasing his forehead when he saw another occupant in the room other than himself. He recognized the young auburn-haired beauty with blue eyes, her name springing to mind a moment later. She was Tala, and he'd heard she was Lothos' best junior programmer and personal assistant, but any further thoughts concerning her were dismissed as he recalled the minutes just passed, returning his total attention to Lothos. Throughout the dramatic medical situation playing out in central control, Lothos had maintained close attention on Thames, focusing on his face and noticing the small beads of sweat on his brow. What he said next caused those sweat beads on Thames' face to begin to trickle down when he finally spoke. Both you and Zoe have failed to kill Arlia and Beckett. No one has ever attempted to leave this complex and Beckett snatches her away. What do you want me to do, Lothos? Find Beckett and kill him. Now! My pleasure, Lothos. Thames. Yes, Lothos. Since you and Zoe failed to find and kill Beckett and Alia, added to the fact that Zoe will never leave again, I am putting the entire responsibility for correcting that failure on you. I am charging you to select and test two candidates to take Zoe's and your places as senior leaper and observer. How long? You have 28 hours from this moment. If you fail, you will be the one in the infirmary instead of Zoe, and it won't be Beckett who causes your injuries. Yes, Lothos. Quite understood, sir. Tala, sitting at her workstation, her attention on the monitor in front of her, couldn't help overhearing the conversation between Lothos and Thames. Determined not to give the remotest suggestion by her actions that she'd listened, she pushed a button and observed that the few people that were coming in from the day off had just passed through the gates and were moving up the broad walkway to the guarded doors that led into the exterior complex building. She particularly observed two young gentlemen who were talking quietly to each other. One, a tall, dark, handsome man, about her age, as well as his compadre, except for his blonde hair. Both were quite a package to observe. But Tala wasn't the only one watching the technicians coming into the complex. Lothos carefully watched each person for any sign of impertinence. They knew the moment they agreed to work for him that they had to obey all rules. The implants that had been given to them upon their arrival at the project allowed Lothos to not only keep track of what they said and heard, but also where they were in the complex. That same implant would allow him to inflict instant death if it were his will alone. They've arrived, Lothos is ordered. All present and accounted for and on time. 
Excellent. Make sure that they report to their stations immediately. Yes, sir. She looked into her screen and watched every person walking toward his or her post, but she continued to watch the two young men interestedly. She watched as they headed toward the logistics sector of the complex and watched as they sat down to work. She quickly flipped through the other people that came on the island and continued to check on them. However, she went back to the same two, watching them for a brief moment before going back to her normal duties. She sighed dreamily before looking back at the algorithms that were awaiting her perusal. Something catches your attention, Tala. Perhaps it is those men that you have been watching with vigilance for the past ten minutes. Beg your pardon, sir. It's been a while since I've caught anyone's attention, sir. I apologize for any ill manners. And your age, Tala. It's not ill manners to notice the opposite sex, Tala. However, you must school yourself to restrict your interests for when you are not on duty. Is that understood? Yes, sir. looking at me that way. Water from my body won't hurt the carpet, Father. Watching as Siren got dressed, Xavier's thoughts drifted to how she had come into his life. Raising a child was something that he had never planned to be a part of his life as a young man, and for most of his first 37 years that was true. But for a short while after Nathaniel Lotherman brought him into his confidence about the true nature of his project and dream, Nathaniel changed that one aspect of Xavier's life. Though the complex was housed completely underground, all 15 levels of it, not including the basement area, also known as the cellar, it was, literally, a dark and stormy night near the end of July when that change came. Wakened out of a deep sleep by Lothor's voice speaking aloud into his very comfortable bachelor quarters, Xavier was summoned to the operating room in the cellar. Having two different medical degrees and enough years of practice that would make another man feel old, he didn't question the order. He just threw some clothes on and got down to the cellar as quickly as possible. Xavier's surprise at hearing the sound of a newborn infant screaming when the elevator doors opened in the cellar took him aback. Still, logic made him follow the sound of the cries, straight to the special operating room in this area. When he opened the door, he watched the tall, dark, blonde man, a young Peter Hugan, one of the newest medical resident supervisors in the complex, turn to face him. In his arms was a tiny form wrapped in a sterile towel. Give the child to Xavier. This is my daughter, born approximately ten minutes ago. No one 
Save for her mother, Dr. Hugen and yourself are aware of her existence. I'm giving her to you to raise. But... No one is to know that she is my daughter. Furthermore, until I choose to reveal it, she isn't to know anything about background or Raise her as your own, but never forget for a moment that Siren, that is the name I've given her, is my child. Siren was Nathaniel and Zoe's child utterly. Her attitude and intelligence she got from Nathaniel. Not often was it seen, but her father's arrogance was as much a part of her own nature as her hair colour came from her mother. She had also inherited Nathaniel's brilliance, evidence of that becoming apparent to Xavier as he watched her mature. He had seen, but not commented on, the fact that except for the fact of her being female and, and having her mother's colouring, Siren could be a dead ringer for her father. Now, twenty-four years later, watching this tall, leggy, and at the moment naked, dark, auburn-haired beauty getting dressed, Xavier couldn't imagine his life without her in it. He had raised her to have total confidence in herself, to feel no shame or embarrassment of the naked human body. From the first day he carried her into his quarters on the third level, far removed from the lowest levels of the complex where she drew her first breath, Siren became, for all intents and purposes, his daughter. Watching her, Xavier couldn't help but feel pride in the part he had played in rearing, nurturing, and guiding Siren into the woman she had become. So what's on your agenda for today? I have a couple of things to take care of. Directive from Lothos. <laughs> What's on your agenda for today? An all-day date or another day on the job? Well, now, you know that I don't have anyone special in my life other than you. So I guess it's another day on the job. Xavier watched her go to her dresser and look down at the delicate, very lifelike mask that had become a part of her attire. Picking it up, Siren gently fingered the cheek of the mask, a frown etching her features. Father... I know that we've discussed this before about being out in public, but I have to question again why I must always wear this mask outside of our quarters. Is it that necessary? Yes, my dear, it is most necessary. As I have told you before, there are those who would have you killed because you are my daughter if they knew who you are, and I can't bear the thought of you being harmed. That's the reason for the mask. I understand the reason for the mask. It's just so hard to eat when I'm wearing it. I'll be back in a minute with our breakfast. Upon entering the cafeteria to get breakfast, she walked up to the line and waited patiently for the line to proceed. Glancing around the room, she noticed several people staring at her only to glance away when their eyes met. Every time she had to get out of her quarters, it would happen, driving her to the point of insanity. Desperately wanting to take the mask and throw it across the room to hear it shatter against a wall, she clenched her teeth and tried to calm herself down. Having achieved a small handle on her anger, she proceeded in line. Seeing that they had pancakes and French toast on the breakfast buffet, she prepared a plate of French toast for Xavier, his favourite and a plate of pancakes for herself. Each plate had sausage, bacon, and a small helping of hash browns. After lathering both plates with syrup, Siren poured two glasses of orange juice and placed them on the tray, 
nodding to the cashier to take care of the bill by debiting her account. She started towards the door. It was at that point that a young man hurrying out of the cafeteria bumped into her arm, causing the tray to tip backwards onto her uniform on the floor. Why, you clumsy oaf! <laughs> I'll be glad to clean up my mess. It'll be a cold day in hell when that happens. Guess I better go get my jacket on, huh? Trevor, shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry. What can I do to make amends? My cleaning bill may be a starting point. Or is that too much for your feeble mind to even consider at the moment? Damn. Temper, she's a dead match with Zoe Malazy. About as feeble as yours. Send the bill to Trevor Conroy. Mr. Conroy, is it? Feeble-mindedness and disrespectfulness must run in your family, sir. However, it's hard to ascertain which is which. It's hard to realize when you're talking to your new supervisor, isn't it, Mr. Conroy? It's not the best way to start out, is it? New supervisor or not, I won't take that type of self-satisfying at the other person's expense attitude from anyone except Lothos and the supervisors that tell this smarmy bitch what to do. Probably in the same measure that snottiness runs in your family, ma'am. And, by the way, Madam Supervisor, when I'm on my breakfast hour, it's my time, not yours. If I'm late, then you can chew my ass out. But don't horn in on my time. Close your mouth. You'll draw flies. Mr. Trevor Conroy, stop right there! Sorry. I've got to get to work. Bye. Uh, uh, oh. Men. Oh. Going back down to the third floor, she bounded into her quarters and removed the mask. Without thinking, she threw the mask across the room, feeling satisfied when she heard it shatter against the wall. Where's breakfast? Where's breakfast? Well, let me see. I believe that it's all over my bodysuit, as you can tell, as well as the orange juice that I at one point had. However, thanks to Mr. Trevor Conroy, it's now on the cafeteria floor. He's a very insolent-mannered man, and when I see him again, he won't be able to stand. I can't believe how he treated me when it was his fault that our breakfast landed on the floor. And how did you react? How do you think I acted? He asked if he could clean up his mess as he undressed me with his eyes, and I slapped him twice before telling him that he could pay for the cleaning. Did he offer to pay for the cleaning? Yes, but that was after I told him that disrespectfulness ran in his family. Okay, okay. I guess I deserved what I got, but he was rushing to get back to work from the cafeteria, no less, and I am his immediate supervisor effective today, which I did tell him. Why didn't you teach me to keep my mouth shut? You, my own dear one, seem to learn best when you charge full-born into a situation, smoke rolling out of your ears, even when you discover that you vastly overreacted. And from the look in your eyes and what you just said, that tells me that you've learned a little bit more just now. Now, go get breakfast again. I'm starving. Uh, Siren, Lothos will scorch your hide 
a supervisor, appearing in public in your, uh, state of dress? <laughs> well, at least it would be something out of the norm now, wouldn't it? to learn how to keep my anger under control. I'll go get breakfast. And while I'm gone, no bloodletting in the front room. If there's so much as a spot of blood anywhere in here, you'll scrub the walls. You know the rules. <laughs> oh, Dad. You've been listening to Quantum Retribution, Shifts in Time, written by M.J. Cogburn and C.E. Crowick. Featured in this episode were Stephen Anderson as Tims, David Alt as Lothos and the Announcer, Ben Harmer as Albert Calavici, M.J. Cogburn as Tala Lothaman and Siren Lothaman, Shane Devon as Sam Beckett, Mark Ribola as Dr. Peter Hugan, Helen Earle as Zoe Malvison. Shane Harris as Xavier and Trevor Conroy. Carol McBain as Krista Calavici. And Tom Davis as production announcer. Production and post-production by M.J. Cogburn and C.E. Crowick. Executive producer for Darker Projects is Eric Busby. The theme music is available for download at sounddogs.com. Other music composed and performed by Kai Hartwig, Richard Owens, and Kevin McLeod. Quantum Retribution is a production of The Quantum Leap Radio Files, presented by DarkerProjects.com.